Your Bibles and turn in them, if you would, with me, please, to the book of Philippians. Philippians, the third chapter, and when you get there, uh, just hold your place there for a moment. Uh, you know, when I was, when I was pastoring, uh, and, and actually through all ministry, even when I was in staff positions at churches, uh, we'd always have goals, and uh, we'd, we'd, we'd pursue after numbers, not for numbers' sake. Uh, we did it because numbers represent people. And uh, I think, too, as a church, when you're looking at uh, goals, you have to set numbers uh, to work towards to help you hopefully continue to grow and do those things you're supposed to. And I think that's, that's a good thing for a church to do. It's a good thing for a pastor to do, a staff member to do. The, the problem I had with that is this. I was never satisfied with whatever number we hit because I always thought we ought to hit some more. I mean, we, we were trying to reach 500 in worship. I remember when at Northside uh, in Valdosta, we had a goal to get to 1,000 in worship. Well, we, we did that, and that was great, and we rejoiced, but I wasn't happy with that. I thought we ought to have 1,100, and we kept trying to encourage people and impress people, and I think, I think that's a good thing to do. But sometimes in the process of doing that, you, you fail to stop and reflect on some of the numbers that churches have and be able to say to the Lord, thank you for helping us to accomplish a particular goal. I say all that to get to what I'm about to tell you because I think this is an important thing for you as a church to know. Uh, sometimes, and I know through our refocus process, uh, we had to look at some tough stats and we had to look at some tough numbers to kind of see that we needed to reverse the direction that this church had been going in for a number of years. And, uh, and I think, I think we're, things are kind of turning. Hopefully we'll do that, uh, knowing that a lot of this will have to be directed by whoever your next pastor is going to be. But I say all that to say this, and you can rejoice in this, and this is a praise the Lord statement I'm about to make. And we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to respond in a proper way in just a second uh, when I tell you. But do you know last week we baptized two folks at the very beginning of our worship service. And that was the most First Baptist Church of Noonan had baptized in over nine years. Amen. I think that would be worthy to give the Lord a round of applause for that and say thank you for that. And uh, we're grateful. Hey, that, uh, we ought to do double that. And this church has certainly the potential of that. But uh, we do say thank you for uh, those that the Lord allowed this ministry to reach. And hopefully that will help set the pace for this coming year that we're moving into. Well, that has nothing to do with my sermon this morning. Uh, I do want to preach to you a message today entitled, Pursuing a Deeper Walk. Pursuing a Deeper Walk. And this is just a personal challenge to you and to me about deepening our walk with the Lord. I don't know where you are in that process. I don't know how long you've been on the journey, but I do know this one thing, no matter where you are, you still need to press on. And we're gonna see that was the attitude of the Apostle Paul. And I really think if we're honoring the Lord in our lives, uh, we certainly have to have that attitude. I've always felt like at the beginning of a new year, and I realize that's tomorrow, uh, this we're finishing up 2023, but tomorrow starts a brand new year And I think at any time at the beginning of the year, it gives you a good chance to stop Evaluate where you have been and look honestly at where you need to go 
That's true for a church corporately, but it's certainly true of us as individual believers. I'm not talking about so much making New Year's resolutions. I won't ask you because I know what response I would get. How many of you make resolutions and break them two days after? Uh, that's, that's true of most of us. We're not very good at keeping New Year's resolution. This is not New Year's resolution. But it is dealing with what has to happen in our hearts and our lives if we're going to press on in our walk with the Lord Jesus. Again, this is true for us as a church. It's true for us as individual believers. So that's what I want to deal with this, minute, uh, this morning for a few minutes. Uh, Vance Havner once said the following, speaking about the new year. He said, while the world drinks and dances into the new year to spend tomorrow with a hangover, let the Christian meet it on his knees and meet tomorrow with a hallelujah. And that's a pretty good piece of advice. But I think we also have to meet tomorrow by looking at, Lord, what do you need to do in my life so that I can press on in my walk with the Lord Jesus? The Apostle Paul knew the value of doing such an exercise. He writes many verses in our scriptures that we have that show us that he took that serious. These verses we're looking at this morning, Philippians 3 verses 10 through 6, I think put it out clearly. Paul's attitude in his walk with the Lord and what has to be true in our walk with the Lord if we are going to pursue a deeper walk with him and this new year that God is given to us. So if you would please, in honor of God's word, if you'll stand with me as we read our text, Philippians 3, verses 10 to 16, I will read our verses out loud. And if you follow along there in your copy of the Bible, Paul writes and he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Father, thank you for these words. Lord, help them to serve as a motivation to us and an admonition to us to press on to a deeper walk with you in this coming year that you've given to us. Lord, help us to understand. Help us to apply these words to our hearts and our lives. Help us not just to be hearers of your word, but let us find ourselves being doers. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Boy, there's so, there's so much in these verses that could be said. But one thought I do want to take and point out to you this morning that Paul had, and it's what I want to build on this morning. Uh, it was obvious when Paul wrote these words here in Philippians 3 that he was not satisfied in his life in regards to his walk with the Lord. 
Now, it's obvious in Paul's life, great strides had been made. Many victories had been won. When he penned the words to this letter that we call Philippians, Paul had been a believer over 25 years. He had grown deeply. In fact, in some people's opinion, Paul was known, still is known, as the greatest person to live the Christian life outside of Christ himself. But yet Paul was never satisfied with where he was spiritually. There was, and I'll use this word carefully, but I think it's a good term. There was a holy dissatisfaction in the Apostle Paul where he never got satisfied. You know, it's one of the things that bothers me about people in ministry watching church members. Some people are satisfied where they are. They think they've attained all that there is to attain in their walk with Jesus. Now, they might not realize they think that, but by their actions, by the attitude of their heart and life, they've gotten satisfied. They no longer press on. They no longer pursue God. They're happy with where they are spiritually. And the truth of the matter is none of us ever get to where we need to be spiritually until one of these days we get to see Jesus. There ought to be a holy dissatisfaction in our life where we are spiritually. Yes, we can, we can look at our lives. We can see what God has accomplished. We can see what God has done. I hope you can look at your life this past year and see how God's grown you. How God's worked in your life afresh in a new way. You can rejoice in his goodness, his grace, his mercy to you and helping you deepen your wall with him. But if you look at your life real closely, I promise you none of us in this room, none of us in this room are where we ought to be in our walk with him. So if we're going to deepen our walk with him in this coming year, there are some things that have got to take place. There's some commitments that we're going to have to make that I think the Apostle Paul made that caused him to keep pressing on in his walk with the Lord Jesus. Never being satisfied with where he was. Always pursuing that deeper level of commitment and fellowship with Christ. And that's what he writes about here in our text that I've given, that he's given to us that I just read to you a moment ago. Four commitments that must be made in our lives if we're to press on in our walk with Christ this new year. If we're to pursue a deeper walk. I hope this will help you. I hope it will encourage you. I hope it will motivate you. Number one, if we're going to pursue a deeper walk with the Lord in 2024, there must be a devoted passion. There must be devoted passion. Now, passion is one of those words used to describe the inward heart attitude towards something. Let me, let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, I love sports. I have always loved sports. Uh, in fact, when I was growing up, if you could catch it, throw it, bounce it, hit it, uh, I probably tried to play it. Uh, I still love sports today, though I, I can't because of a lot of reasons. I cannot participate in a lot of the sports that I did at one point in time. I love sports, but folks, I have a passion for golf. I was introduced to the game of golf as a teenager. For 50 plus years, I have pursued the game of golf. 
I've not perfected it. In fact, if anybody tells you they perfected the game of golf, they are a liar. Mark it down right there on the spot. And if you play the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I have a passion for it. I'm always wanting to learn. I'm always wanting to, to know how to hit a ball better. I'm always wanting to know how to read a, a green better so I can putt better. I'm always wanting to, to see how I can improve. It drives me crazy at times. And that game of golf can be a game that drives you crazy. But while I love other sports, I have a passion for the game of golf. Now you probably have something in your life that you're passionate about. And that's what I mean when I say there must be a devoted passion in our life if we're going to pursue to a deeper level in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, for a person to really press on in their spiritual walk with God, there has to be that type of passion towards the things of God and towards your relationship with the Lord Jesus. And without that... You're never going to pursue that level of walk that God wants you to have with him. You're never going to press on. Again, a lot of people are satisfied where they are. No, there has got to be a devoted passion towards God and the things of God. By the way, when, when you read through the ministry of Jesus, that's what Jesus taught. Uh, we, for, for too many in our Americanized culture of Christianity, religion is just something we play at. It's just something that many people show an occasional attention to. It does not drive their life. It's, if they don't have anything better to do, they, they play at a little bit of religion. And again, we wonder why the church in America is in such a mess. There has to be devoted passion in our lives towards the things of God if we're going to pursue him. If we're going to grow, we're going to deepen our walk with him. Jesus, again, taught such. One day a scribe cornered Jesus and he asked the Lord Jesus a very intriguing question. And I don't know if this scribe was trying to trick Jesus or if this scribe really genuinely wanted an answer to the question, but Jesus once he was asked, he gave a very straightforward answer to the scribe. This is the question and the answer that Jesus gave. It's found in Mark, the 12th chapter, verses 28 to 30. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he, Jesus, had answered them well. Asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? In other words, the Lord wants the greatest commandment of life. So Jesus answers this question. I want you to listen to what he says. The foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's how we're supposed to love God. We must love him. Notice again what Jesus said. With all our heart. With all our mind. With all our soul. With all of our strength. In other words, we must love God with a devoted passion. In our inward being. 
We are to love him with everything there is in us to love him with. What about you? Is that true of you? Oh, I love God like that. But you can't go to church about once every six weeks. Oh, I love God like that. But you don't ever pick up your Bible and read it. Oh, I love God like that. Do you really? There must be a devoted passion in your heart if you're going to love God like he says to love him. It's not the only time Jesus taught that. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Greatest sermon ever been preached. Matthew 5, 6, 7 records that for us in our scriptures. One of the highlights for me anytime we take a group to Israel is to go to the Mount of the Beatitudes and gather that group together. And in some form, we've done it in many ways over the years, to sit there and, and read the entire Sermon on the Mount. Imagine Jesus standing there giving it to us. The truth that's found in that great sermon changes lives even today. Jesus is speaking about the issue of worry. And in Matthew 6, verses 31, down through verse 33, he says the following, Do not worry then, say, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. And then Jesus summarizes this whole attitude of being passionate in our hearts towards him with this next sentence when he said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things in life will be added unto you. And folks, that's the command and the commitment that has to do with our heart attitude if we're going to pursue him as we should this coming year. He's speaking here of a devoted passion towards God and the things of God that puts him first. Uh, again, and I don't, I don't mean to sound negative. I'm trying to be realistic with this. But this is, this is what concerns me about Christianity in America, but it's what concerns me about our churches in America too. For too many people, their relationship with Jesus is only a relationship of convenience. In other words, if they don't have anything better to do, they'll go to church or they'll read their Bible or they'll serve in some capacity. But if something else gets in the way, if something else comes up better, oh, we're quick to abandon the things of the Lord to go run, do whatever it is we want to do. We have made Christianity a Christianity of convenience in our day and age. And again, that's why you have some people come to church, they show up to church once every six weeks. And we wonder why the church is so weak. Hey, you'll, you'll, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never pursue God on the level he wants you to pursue him uh, on with that kind of an attitude. There must be a devoted passion in our lives if we are to seek him out. Hey, that's what Paul's saying here in these verses. Again, just listen. That I may know him, Paul says, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already obtained it or become perfect. I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. 
Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And by the way, that's why he shook the world for Jesus. He'd been a believer 25 plus years when he wrote those words. He'd started churches. He wrote most of what we have in our New Testament. How many thousands of people did he lead to Christ? How many pastors had he trained? I'm not satisfied. There's a passion in my heart that wants to press on to know Jesus. And folks, that's got to be true in my life. It's got to be true in your life. Let me, let me ask you some questions this morning. Do you, do you love Jesus more than anything else in your life? Do you love the things of righteousness more than the things of sin? Do you delight in spending time alone with God? Are you faithful in reading your Bible? Are you faithfully committed to a local church, to a local body of believers? Do you love the things that God loves? Are you seeking first his kingdom? Well, if we're going to be all that God wants us to be in this new year, we must start here. In fact, I believe this one area alone will pretty much dictate the level of your walk and relationship with God in the year 2024. There must be a devoted passion in our hearts towards God, that's the first commitment. Second commitment this morning. Not only must there be a devoted passion, there must be doctrinal purity. There must be doctrinal purity. Now hang on there with me just for a few minutes. Uh, I'm not talking about here uh, cold, dead orthodoxy. I am not talking about uh, getting all caught up over minor issues of the faith that some believers might disagree on. But I am talking about a doctrinal purity that reveals to us the real biblical Jesus and not some Jesus that people make up in their minds to fit their own selfish, self-centered lifestyle. I uh, never ceases to amaze me reading comments on Facebook. Um, if you want to entertain yourself, just get on Facebook and read some of them. And it amazes me how, how many people who are on Facebook think they're theologians. Um, and the comments that folks make. And it, it just says what I, I pretty much knew already and I see all too often even in the church. That there are a lot of people, a lot of people who worship a make-up, made-up Jesus. They don't have a clue who Jesus is. They've made up some form of Jesus to fit their most of the time godless lifestyle. Even today, you, you see even commercials on about Jesus that people obviously don't have a clue who the real Jesus is. And folks, doctrinal purity has nothing to do with us ever getting to the point 
that we learned everything and there there's there's there is some who believe if you don't believe everything like they believe it exactly like they believe it you're a heretic and and such as this i'm not talking about that kind of an attitude but i am talking about an attitude where we come to know truly know the jesus that the bible is talking about in fact that's what paul says here he talks about coming to know jesus truly know jesus And in verse 16, he says, I want you to keep living by that same standard to which you have obtained. Same standard concerning Christ. Same standard concerning doctrinal truth. You have to ask the question, where are you getting that standard from? Well, you get that standard from the Word of God and the teaching of the Spirit of God about Jesus. That's where you get it from. And you have to have doctrinal purity along with devoted passion or you get yourself in a mess. In fact, if you're going to pursue a deeper walk with God, there must be both. Devoted passion is what drives our hearts. But doctrinal purity is the steering wheel of the passionate heart. It's the rudder, if you would, that directs the ship. For if you believe in error, it does not matter how passionate you are about it, you're still walking in error. Devoted passion must be balanced with doctrinal purity. Um, I'll give you some examples. You ever been sitting in your uh, living room, great room, den, whatever you call where you hang out at your house? Uh, And all of a sudden the doorbell rings, front door rings, and you know that's got to be a stranger because nobody ever comes to your front door anymore and rings the doorbell. And you probably think, oh, well, it's either Jehovah's Witness or it's who? The Mormons. Okay. In fact, you can walk. I walk most of the days when when I've been up here during the weekdays. I eat lunch a lot of times up at Golden's. And almost, almost every time I walk by the old courthouse here. You know who's on the street corner? If you've been up there, you know. Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, here, here's some of these Mormons. The, you, you've seen them. The guys are riding bicycles. They're wearing black pants, white shirts. They've got on a tie. And they're going around door to door, house to house. And they, uh, they're trying to convert you to their belief. And when you answer the door, they will tell you that they are from, now listen to me, this is what they'll say. They are from the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. They will never tell you they are Mormons unless you ask. They'll tell you they're from the Church of Jesus Christ. They will tell you that they believe in Jesus. They will tell you that they believe in the Bible. And you know, the truth of the matter is, they're very passionate about what they believe. They wouldn't be out there doing what they're doing if they were not passionate about what they believe. But they are in error. In fact, let me say to you this morning, they are in serious error. Their doctrine is not pure because it comes from man-made beliefs founded by one man who claimed to have the right to interpret, and I quote him, another testament about Jesus Christ. They are passionately walking in error and they are leading many people down that same road 
of error. They're deceiving many people. They're passionate, but they're not walking in doctrinal purity. Let me give you another illustration this morning. This might even come a little closer to home. We, we have churches filled with people today in our American culture that have been fed the lie that God's supreme mission in life is to make them happy. And as long as they are happy, no matter how they might achieve such happiness, then God is good and God has blessed me. I'm blessed. That's the new little buzzword we use today but many of these same people have no concept whatsoever of the lordship and the supremacy of Christ over their life and while they may quote all types of scripture about God's love and God's blessing they totally ignore verses that tell us we must die to ourselves and live our lives totally for God's glory and honor it is what they believe about God that is driving their life and their living but their belief in their God is totally in error hey I got news for you this morning God's supreme mission in life is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It's to change you. It's to make you what he created you to be. Not to make you happy. That's why fuss, people fuss about the music in churches. Well, it's not the kind of music I like. They ain't happy when they sing that song. It's not about you. By the way, we're not singing to you. We're singing to God. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't like this or that at the church. Well, it's not about you. It's not about you at all. You may think it is. It's not about you. It's about giving God glory and honor. This is not your church. It's his church. And that's where we go wrong in our American culture. We think God exists to make us happy. No, God exists to make us holy. God exists and works in our hearts and our lives to make us more like Jesus. God exists in our lives to change us, to make us what he created us to be from the very beginning until sin came and messed it up. And he sent Jesus, his son, to die on a cross to redeem us from sin, both the penalty and the power of sin, so that he could work in us what was his original intention from the very beginning of creation, to be made like him. You know, it's interesting to me, and I think I told you a few, few weeks ago when I preached on something, we were, we were on the island of Crete on our journey of Paul's trip, and I had to come up with a Bible study because I didn't know we were going to have a teaching time there on Crete. So I did something that included Crete in our New Testament, which was Paul's writing to Titus uh, there in the New Testament. And it's, uh, it amazed me as I began to look at something to teach Again, Paul wrote three letters that we call pastoral epistles. He wrote two to Timothy, Pastor Timothy. He wrote one to Titus. All three books, all three letters were written to teach Titus and Timothy how to lead a church, how to pastor a church, what to do, what not to do. There's one common theme. There's one major theme. There's one central focus. In all three letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus to warn them and in turn to warn their congregation about. Do you know what it was and what it is? False 
teaching. False teaching. 58 verses in three short letters deal with false teaching. Why was Paul so concerned? And why did he warn these pastors to warn their people about false teaching? Well, folks, the answer is obvious. If you believe wrong, regardless of how passionate you are in your belief, you will live wrong. So if you're going to pursue a deeper walk with God this coming year, our devoted passion must drive us to doctrinal purity. And that is only found in God's Word. That's why we must be people of the book. We must base everything we practice, preach, teach, believe, and do upon the Word of God. God has given us the precious Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us but we must go to the source of truth found and his word and base what we believe and what we do on that word that's why it's important you get in the bible every day that's why it's important you study the truth for yourself devoted passion doctrinal purity here's here's another one i'll i'll close with this one i've got four y'all have to wait a month for me to get to it uh, I'll probably forget it by that point in time. Um, oh, I could just preach to one o'clock today. I, y'all ain't got anything to do tonight. Y'all not coming back. I'm, I'm not going to be here for another month or two. I might as well make up my... Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Devoted passion, doctrinal purity. Uh, Paul also tells us there must be determined purpose. There must be determined purpose. In order for a person to find true meaning and value in life, they must understand their purpose for existence and when a person finds their true purpose for living they will then find all the motivation direction and mission they need to live a fulfilling life Paul understood that he makes that clear here in these verses verse 10 Paul tells us about his purpose in life I love this that I may know him boy that's 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 a life pursuit that I might not He doesn't say, I know about him. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. That was Paul's purpose in life. And that purpose drove him. To declare what he does in verse 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do. Forget what lies behind. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the upward prize of God in Christ Jesus. What a purpose. And as that purpose, it drove him to do everything he did for the gospel of Christ. Yet how many people wander through this thing called life, whatever length of time God gives you, and they have no concept whatsoever about why they're here. The old Westminster Shorter Catechism asks and answers a question in a way that's a classic. 
the question is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's their purpose? What is my purpose? What is your purpose? The answer it gives, as catechisms do, is not only biblically correct, but it's in, in a simplistic manner so that we can get it. It answers the question, what is the chief end of man? By saying this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our primary reason for existence. That's the primary reason for a church's existence. That's why God created you. That's why God redeemed you. I think that's what Paul's trying to say here. I want to know him so that he's my life. I want to enjoy him forever. That's what drives me. I want to be pleasing to God in everything that I do. Again, talking about the journeys of Paul, we had the chance to go to Corinth while we were on that journeys of Paul. I, uh, I had the opportunity to do the teaching there at Corinth also. Uh, if you know anything about the church at Corinth, you read this in First and Second Corinthians, and I'll, I'll do this quickly and I'll close. Um, you, you know that Corinth was a troubled church. They were a mess. In fact, Paul wrote almost the entire book of 1 Corinthians to correct them. Second book, they'd gotten a little better, but they were still had troubles. Uh, but he wrote them to correct their error and correct the way they were wrongly living. Uh, there in the second letter, as he writes to this troubled church, he talks about his purpose and he talks about the church's purpose. And he summarizes it as simple as it can be summarized in one verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, when he writes these words, Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, and here it is, to be pleasing to God. I want to live my life for God's purposes. I exist for him. I want to live my life for the Lord. And folks, that should be our determined purpose for the coming year. And when God finds a person with devoted passion towards the things of God, directed by doctrinal purity according to the Word of God, and motivated in life by the determined purpose of glorifying and pleasing God in all they do, Hey, I got news for you. God's going to use that person in a powerful way. You're going to live life different. You're going to see God work in powerful ways. Chuck Swindoll is one of my spiritual heroes. His writings and his teachings have been a blessing to me often. He wrote once out of one of his books. He writes about this matter of living to God's glory, pleasing God, living according to purpose. I'll let him close the message this morning. This is what he wrote. What does it mean to live according to God's purpose? When I am unsure, I glorify God, he writes, by seeking his will and then waiting for his guidance. When I need to make a decision, I lean on his word for direction and his, strength, his spirit for strength. Some examples, you name it, selecting a job, finding a place to live, Determining which car to drive, focusing on a goal to accomplish, 
I decide on each of those things only for his glory. How about this one? When affliction and suffering assault me or pursuing an education all for his glory, not mine. The same principle applies to the school I want to attend, the courses I want to take, the degree I pursue, the career I ultimately embrace. When any subject surfaces that calls for my response, his glory is to be my attitude and woven into my answer. When I'm thinking and planning, when I win or lose, when I must relinquish a dream or realize it's best to walk away without fighting for my rights, I willingly surrender. Why? For his glory. Let's apply that to the ends of life. In my public life or private life, I seek his glory. In relationships that please me or challenge me, they're all for his glory. In my home, in my work, in my school, in my traveling, as well as being alone as I occupy a small, monotonous, unassuming place. In my research, my studies, my academic assignments, my preparation for exams, my taking exams, my receiving a grade, my practicing a profession, all for his glory. In fame and fortune, public applause and appreciation, as well as in those days when it all fades, that is all, I repeat, for his glory. If you want to walk with God in a deeper way this next year, folks, there's got to be devoted passion. I've got to seek his kingdom first. I've got to love him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. There has got to be doctrinal purity Make sure what you believe is what he teaches us in his word. And there must be determined purpose. Live your life for him and him alone. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray you'll help us to be what you've called us to be. Lord, you give us such an example in your word of the apostle Paul and how he lived that for us. He modeled that for us. But Lord, I still can't get over the fact that even after walking with you for so many years, Paul cried out, Lord, I'm not where I need to be. Oh, I press on. I've not arrived yet. There's still much to be done. Lord, help us to press on and pursue you in a deeper way. I pray that for us individually. I pray you'll do that in our church. Lord, you, you've blessed this church over the years in so many ways, and we thank you for it. But God, we're not all we need to be for you. We're not there yet. There's still many things that need to be done, need to be accomplished, need to be changed. Lord, help us to pursue you. Help us to understand it's not about us. It's all about you and living for your glory. If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life that you've given your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus... Hey, can I say to you this, this morning, this afternoon now, there's no way in the world you'll ever walk with the Lord. You'll never understand life. You'll never experience life as God intended for you to experience it until you come to know him. Not just know about him, but to know him personally. And the only way you come to know him personally is by a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. For God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you're here today and you've never come to know him personally, that's where you've got to start. 
In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of commitment as we are closing our service today. And if you're here, you need to give your heart and life to Christ. And you know, God's knocking at your heart's door and maybe he's, he's drawing you to himself right now, even though you might not understand all of that. Let me ask you that as soon as we begin to sing, just step out from where you're standing, make your way down to the front. I'll be here at the front of the altar. Take me by the hand. All you need to say is, Pastor Ken, I need to give my heart, my life to Jesus. We won't embarrass you. We won't do anything to put you on the spot. But what we will do is have one of our staff members take you to the back and share with you from God's word how you can give your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus this morning. You walk out of here a changed person. You walk out of here with new purpose and new direction in life. Would you come? Would you give your life to Jesus today? And then my fellow believer this morning, where's your heart? Are you satisfied with where you are? Oh, if you are, I pray God will show shake you up that there'll be a holy dissatisfaction in you just like it was in Paul. May we all this next year pursue God. Pursue him in a way that we've never pursued him before so that we can really know him in all his fullness and in all his power. Lord, help that to be our goal in life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you